crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective, and I'm here with my co-host, retired captain of NYPD, Ed Mamet. Hello, uh, WABC listeners. We're very happy to be here today and talk to you. It's our great pleasure to introduce our most interesting guest from Louisiana. So our guest today, as Ed said, is from Louisiana. Her name is Donna Grutner, and she's the attorney for the police officer in the Doe versus McKesson case out in Louisiana. Welcome, Donna. Well, hello. So, please, tell our audience about yourself. You know, when did you become an attorney, and what type of cases have you handled in the past? Well, I started off in college waiting tables and working in family business, did the sorority panhellenic thing, and graduated with a science degree. And I worked in microbiology at Oshner and did some HLA work. And then I started in law school. And when I graduated from law school, my strong subjects were property and security devices, but I wanted to use my chemical background, so I did some toxic tort litigation for many years. And when the federal courts and the legislature did some tort reform, I had to switch gears. So I started doing more of the civil rights. But that's where I got my federal court experience, doing the toxic tort and class action litigation. So I was very fortunate that I had a reputation around Baton Rouge. And when this terrible incident happened to Officer John Doe, I was called and asked if I would consider taking the case. So, Donna, um, is that how you got involved in the case, by uh, through a phone call? Yes, sir. I had uh, some other attorneys that I knew from other litigation that called me and told me about the case, and I, I spoke to um, Officer John Doe, and I was very interested from a civil rights aspect and from the uh, tort aspect. Could you tell our listeners the background of the case, what's it about, uh, why it is so important? Well, leading up to this case, there had been several protests around the country by Black Lives Matter. And as you know, they made the headlines, the newspapers, the radio. You couldn't go far that you didn't hear about the burning, the looting, the, the disastrous riots that were taking place. And July 7th, uh, Lakeen Keon Scott shot at passing cars along the Tennessee highway. One woman was killed. Three others were wounded, including a police officer, while they're yelling, police suck, Black Lives Matter. Uh, similarly, uh, on July 5th, Alton Sterling was shot and killed by black, excuse me, by a police officer, and he was white. And this started a flurry of activity. At the same time, there were <coughs> Black Lives Matter protests going on all over the country. And on July 7th, there were 12 officers in Dallas as you may recall, that were shot. And the activists there, it was, it was during the Black Lives Matter riot protest. From there, we had the July 9th uh, protest that D. Ray McKesson staged in Baton Rouge, and it was in reaction to the Alton Sterling shooting by the white officer. So I don't know if you want me to go into the details of, of how Officer Doe was injured, but um, I'd be glad to tell you about that. Yeah, that's yes. fine. You could tell us. Please do. Well, as it happens, uh, the Baton Rouge Police Headquarters is on what they call Airline Highway, and it's an old state highway. It's four lanes. It's really a very, very heavy traffic. About two blocks over through the woods is this huge park called Independence Park, and it could easily have handled a huge riot, protest, whatever you want to have over there. But D. Ray McKesson who at the time had himself out there as a spokesperson for Black Lives Matter and a figurehead 
organized this particular riot, excuse me, protest to be on the street in front of the Baton Rouge police office. Now, in a lot of states and cities, it's illegal to block a public highway. And I'm sure he knew it was illegal when he staged this particular protest in this particular place, which caused the police officers to have to come out and react and be confronted by these protesters. So because of the shootings of so many police officers and the looting and the burning that had taken place all over the country, the police officers in Baton Rouge formed a riot line where they armed themselves basically with shields like medieval shields, and they had helmets on, and and they formed a, a barricade in front of the rioters that were in the street. Well, the rioters in the street were on one side. You had the barricade of officers, and my police officer was behind the scenes, behind the barricade, where they were actually effectuating arrests of those who were protesting on the public highway. So they would make an arrest in the front, and they would process the person through to the back where Officer John Doe was a processing officer. So he wasn't armed with the helmet and the shield and and all that protective gear. So the Black Lives Matter protesters went over to the Circle K and they began looting and stealing bottles of water and so forth and hurling them at the police that were forming this riot line. When they ran out of these bottles, they began throwing rocks and other things. Now, D. Ray McKesson was heard giving orders and, and directing and he organized the protest to be in that place. Well, one of the rocks went over the line and slammed Officer John Doe in the jaw, injuring his, breaking out teeth, injuring his jaw, injuring his brain. It's a very serious injury. So that's how this suit started. We initially sued Black Lives Matter. And at the time, this is back in 2016, we thought Black Lives Matter was an unincorporated association. Uh, We didn't realize they had a corporate headquarters and all the monies that they had had raised through donations and so forth. And and so we originally sued them as an unincorporated association and we sued D. Ray McKesson. And the case was in the district court and it was thrown out there. So we went up on appeal. The first appeal was to the Federal Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal. Now, when you do an appeal in federal court, as many state courts, The appeal panel is made up of three judges, and our particular panel, we had uh, initially all three judges on our side. Then the decision was withdrawn, and they can do that before it's it's published or finally released, and one judge went against us, so it was a 2-1. So at that point, D. Ray McKesson sought reconsideration from that panel and reconsideration on Bonk, where they asked. There's usually 17 members of the Fifth Circuit, so you have an uneven number. But because of an absence on the on the Fifth Circuit, as there is now, there's 16. So it was 8-8 it was uh, not to grant rehearing. From there, Mr. McKesson took the case to the Supreme Court. And one of the issues the Supreme Court um, played upon was whether or not Louisiana state law affords a cause of action under the duty risk analysis what happened, whether it was foreseeable that a police officer would likely be injured if he scheduled and organized this protest in the manner that we allege that he did so. So the Supreme Court said, well, before we reach any reasonable time, place and manner question on the on the First Amendment, we're we're thinking the Fifth Circuit should probably certify this legal question to the Louisiana Supreme Court. 
So they sent it back to the Fifth Circuit. And in due course, the Fifth Circuit certainly did certify the questions of whether any whether there was a cause of action under Louisiana state law for for the protest organizer inciting this illegal activity and the foreseeable uh, injuries resulting therefrom. And the second question was whether there was a professional rescuer's doctrine that insulated or gave D. Ray McKesson some sort of immunity. Now, the Louisiana Supreme Court had a briefing, an oral argument, and they answered both questions favorably to us. They said there is a cause of action, just as the Fifth Circuit had said, and they answered a second question which the Fifth Circuit had not addressed, in which some of the um, judges that wanted to grant rehearing had thought may apply a professional rescuer's doctrine. They said it does not apply in this instance, that some older law had basically um, gotten rid of the professional rescuer's immunity doctrine. So we went back to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they just ruled again in our favor, and it's a two-one decision. The judge who dissented last time again dissented, and we expect that D. Ray McKesson will likely seek panel rehearing, and he will likely seek rehearing on bonk, and he may seek some sort of extension. We don't think that either is going to be granted. We had eight votes last time. We're counting nine, possibly ten this time and maybe even more. We don't think the Supreme Court is going to grant writs this time either, uh, based on the the Louisiana Supreme Court rulings. So all of this will take us at least a year to get back to the federal district court. You know, um, Donna, I can relate to this case. brings back memories. In the summer of 1968, I was a detective, and uh, there was a small mini-riot at City Hall over jobs. And... uh, a call went out for all detectives to respond. And at that time, they, the police department had helmets, but they didn't want to issue them because they thought it wouldn't look right. And during that riot, I was struck in the face with a thick glass bottle that caused a laceration. I almost lost an eye. And uh, I sued the city for not supplying me with a helmet. I went to trial, and unfortunately, I lost the case. But uh, this is a similar type of case. So, it really uh, is. Yeah, so it brings back uh, a lot of memories. Now, I have a, there was a burning question I wanted to ask you. Why is it a John Doe case? Because almost every case I've ever looked at has the name of the, um, of the defendant or the plaintiff. So I was wondering, why, why, why did you give it a John Doe? Well, um, besides referencing you know, the 12 officers that were gunned down in Dallas at a Black Lives Matter uh, protest just days before this took place. There was also a shooting here in Baton Rouge of five officers by an individual who actually attended that protest and then came over to Baton Rouge and shot these five officers. There was also some threats made um, that the state police got some threats from Black Lives Matter against um, police officers. So Officer John Doe wasn't so much worried for himself as he was for his family. He didn't want his name out because he so that could possibly link him back to his wife and children. So he asked that he proceed John Doe, and we thought that we had enough of showing all the recent violence against police officers by individuals who either declared that they were associated with Black Lives Matter, uh, whether they were formally or informally. 
in this case, being against Black Lives Matter, uh, we did think that it would be safer for he and his family if he were to proceed as a John Doe. So that was the thought process behind the John Officer John Doe. Donna, the uh, per- perpetrator in this case that injured the uh, police officer was he arrested? The one that threw the, the rock that actually hit my co- hit hit Officer yes, John Doe. Correct. I don't know whether he was arrested or not. There were uh, uh, almost 200 arrests that day. I'm not sure, and, and many of those people were from out of state. I'm not sure if he was among those that were arrested or not. <clears throat> we did not learn his identity. We have pictures of people throwing things, but you can't really tell, you know, right. who who threw what. You know, it's just objects in the air being launched towards police officers. Right. Exactly. Donna, what was some uh, some key arguments you made in this case? Well, I, I think the, the key argument that, that we are making in this case is First Amendment protections apply to reasonable time, place, and manner. And if you organize a protest to be on a, a, a busy, uh, crowded uh, highway during business hours in violation of law, where you already have a, a history of, of violence, we don't think that you get the reasonable time, place, and manner uh, exception to, you know, for, to, to have the First Amendment apply. So. That, that was our, our key argument, was that this is not reasonable time, place, and manner. You know, it was interesting because one of the judges in the Fifth Circuit in, uh, I think it was the, the, the third judge, had referenced the fact that maybe 100 years ago, protesters had marched down a busy highway in Mississippi. But when I researched that, it did not appear that that was illegal at the time. You know, that it was illegal to uh, block a public highway at that time. So <clears throat> at that time, those protesters were not in violation of law. At this time, there's laws that prohibit you from blocking a public highway. So that's, uh, you know, a violation of law. So it's a little different this day and time than it was 100 years ago uh, when you had protesters marching down a highway when that was not illegal to block that public highway. Was there a uh, permit issued for this particular one we're speaking about? I, I don't think so. I don't think that they would have issued a permit to block a public highway. Um, and it would seem that had they tried to uh, apply for the permit, they would have said, hey, you know, Independence Park is, is uh, about two blocks away. You've got 1.4 mile parameter there and plenty of room for everyone to gather without being out front of the police department and having us have to call everybody off their jobs, get them in riot gear. It's untold expense to the city and the taxpayers. I believe a permit would have a designated area for them to protest uh, orderly and, and, you know, beta law. Correct. Like maybe the state capitol on the the neutral grounds there, you know, it's got a large area at the state capitol. It can accommodate protest groups. Donna, what's the next step in this lawsuit? Well, we're sitting back and waiting. It's not our call. It's up to Mr. McCaffrey to, to go ahead and uh, we, we anticipate he's going to seek panel rehearing and, and he's going to seek en banc rehearing. Um, so we expect those to be his next steps. And we do think he's going to take another shot at the Supreme Court. Now, last time the Supreme Court granted the writ of certiorari, 
but they did not hold oral argument. They issued what they call per curiam, which means they look at it and they say, you know, send this over to the Louisiana Supreme Court and let's see what they have to say before we look at this First Amendment question. Because if there's no cause of action under state law, then we don't have to reach a constitutional question. And we think now that the Louisiana Supreme Court has answered the question, they're going to find they're not going to grant the writ because the reasonable time, place, and manner threshold is, is not met on the facts of this case. Donna, what, what uh, kind of damages uh, is your client seeking? Well, in these type of cases, you get attorney's fees and costs, which after all this briefing and so forth, is, is goes up every time we have to file briefs and make appearances and my client has, you know, his his has a, a huge workers' comp lien. I'm sure that uh, when you had the incident that took place at the uh, city hall, when you got hit in the eye with the bottle, your workers' comp kicked in there. Well, when workers' comp pays something like that, they have what you call a lien. So besides the workers' comp lien and the medicals that he's got that aren't covered by comp, he also has future medicals. He has, you know, a loss of enjoyment of life, so he's got his extreme pain and suffering. His teeth and mouth still are not stable. So this is just a lifetime of, you know, constantly on the verge of losing uh, one of these teeth that they've had to, and the injuries and the counseling. And, and it's, we, we think that, it, that this type of case is probably worth about $2.5 That's our thought. Uh, Donna, you, you already said that the case will probably go back to the Supreme Court and it will take about a year. Now, in my opinion, this case has major, major implications for all police officers throughout the country. And uh, what do you think about that? Do you, do you believe that uh, if you are successful that it will become the law of the land and any police officer anywhere in this country can bring such a lawsuit? Well, um, the National Police Association has uh, been helping us along the way and, and offering all sorts of guidance. So they seem to feel that other states have similar laws. I have not studied the laws of the other states. But it's my understanding that they may believe that uh, this would have broad implications. Now, just because they seek a writ of certiorari to the Supreme Court doesn't mean the court's going to grant it. So, um, but it is it is uh, an important issue for state laws of, across the um, you know fifty states. But because it's a matter of state law and uh, the reasonable time, place, and manner threshold or not met here, we're expecting a favorable decision from the Supreme Court should it grant a writ. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Hopefully that uh, if it does go to the Supreme Court and they rule in your favor, police officers around the country can use this. Um, it's about time that cops, uh, you know, can, can sue. Each state has their own, you know, way of doing it. But I think that a, a federal ruling would be fabulous 
for the police, especially what's going on today. What does your decision suggest about the role of the, the protest organizers uh, ensuring the safety of protesters and law enforcement officers? Well, I think it will have a chilling effect on protest organizers. When they, pro- when they organize something in a city where they're going to burn and loot, and, and uh, I think that the organizers are going to find that that sort of illegal activity, when it's part of the plan, uh, can render them personally liable. So I think they would be more reasonable uh, in their approach in the future. Maybe instead of having it in front of the police headquarters on a busy street, go ahead and have it at the park. Have it at the Capitol. Don't burn and loot, because... You, if you're an organizer, you might be held responsible. Right, right, Donna. But Donna, how do you respond to those who say this decision will have a chilling effect on protests? Yeah, absolutely, I agree. It yeah. will have a chilling effect on yeah. illegal protests, illegal rights that are uh, planned uh, that are in violation of law <clears throat> and, and not abiding by the reasonable time, place, and manner. Get your permit. Have it in a place that's, uh, you know, allowed by the city or the, or the parish right. or the county. Right. A designated so, yes, area. I, I do, do agree there should be a chilling effect on, on some of these riots. Right. A designated area on the permit only, period. Uh, you know, you've taken on a powerful adversary in Black Lives Matter. And, w- you know, I really didn't realize just how much financial support they had. Until, you know, over the years, there's been so many disclosures and so forth. And it it is really frightening to be taking on an organization with pockets as deep as Black Lives Matter. I mean, they can uh, mobilize some some frightening sort of uh, attorney groups, you know, and it's just little old Louisiana down here. So, yeah, it's it's pretty scary. I've got to be honest. Well, we'll protect you if you can. Have you have you received any blowback uh, on social media or in the press? Uh, how about from your colleagues? Well, um, most of the comments I've got have been favorable. I have had, of course, you know, when they did the amicus briefs, several uh, organizations filed amicus briefs. But nobody has threatened me, and I haven't really got any hate mail. In fact... It's been the opposite. I've had people from all over the country reaching out to me saying, hey, we're so glad this is going on and, and we might be able to help this way or we might have some information on this or call us when you get here and let us try to help, you know. So I think it's mostly been positive. Uh, now, I don't know what people are saying behind my back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as far as I know, it's been positive. Donna, what advice would you give to other law enforcement officers who are considering possibly uh, taken up on uh, filing a lawsuit against um, some protest organizers? Well, there were some uh, very similar situations that happened in New York City just before this one, and some officers contacted me, and the facts were so similar. But unfortunately, they waited past their statute of limitations, not thinking that, you know, maybe they had something here. Maybe they could uh, file some sort of suit or take some sort of legal action against these organizers. Um, So I do believe that going forward, there will be a chilling effect from this litigation, but I do feel badly for those who didn't jump out there in front of us that, that, that lost their rights. And some people with some serious injuries, Uh, the gentleman talking about what happened at city hall and almost losing his eye. I mean, there, those sort of stories are countless. 
Yes, thank you, Donna. Captain? Uh, you, you know, uh, Kevin could probably do a better uh, comment on this, but some time ago, the Detectives Endowment Association of the City of New York Police Department talked about bringing lawsuits uh, against uh, these uh, protesters, rioters uh, that uh, occurred, you know, in 2020. I don't know how far that went. That would, There was an attempt to do that. Kevin, can you speak about that? Yeah, I'm not sure where that is. I believe they are looking into it. The attorneys for the DEA, uh, there's many cases that they are looking at right now and presenting them and filing them in the court. Yeah, Kevin was an officer uh, before he retired uh, for the Detectives Endowment Association. That's why uh, I was a, I actually did, I was actually a delegate uh, delegate for the Detective Endowment Association of New York City Police Department. Congratulations! Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, there uh, was another suit. I, I heard that the Supreme Court was looking at it out of the state of Texas for the twelve. It was filed against Black Lives Matter and some of their leaders out of the state of Texas for the shooting that took place there in Dallas. So I don't know, I haven't, I haven't recently checked on that suit, but we did hear that someone was seeking a writ to the Supreme Court on that case. I, I don't know how related it might be, but or how attenuated. I think they were suing Black Lives Matter because the gentleman who did the shooting wasn't directly linked to Black Lives Matter as D. Ray McKesson was, but it took place during one of their protests. So right. well, I don't know what happened with that. that there have been some other lawsuits around the country where people are stepping up and saying, we got to do something about these things. Yes, I agree. I mean, they want to hold uh, law enforcement accountable for all these uh, events. Well, they need to start holding all these protesters accountable as well. Uh, it, didn't something like this happen with the Ku Klux Klan where they were sued and they just bankrupted them? Yes, yes. Uh, that was a First Amendment case that, sure, yes, that's entirely correct. And that's reasonable time, place, and manner. So you the, know, we, if you we, fail reasonable time, place, and manner, you don't get First Amendment protection. So there's an analogy that can be made here. Yes. Be- between I, the I'm not two- sure that, that necessarily, you know, calling on race as the dividing factor is appropriate. Uh, I don't think we have to reach race on this question. No, no, what I meant was the fact that you could bankrupt an organization like Ku Klux oh. Klan, and hopefully we can bankrupt Black, Black Lives Matter, Black <laughs> Lives Matter, through a case like this. Oh, it would take several cases like this to bankrupt Black Lives Matter, from what I understand of their financial situation. So, well, Donna, I'd like to thank you for being on an episode of Cop Talk and letting our our audience know what's going on in Louisiana with this case uh, for the police officer you're representing uh, in the case of Doe versus McKesson. Uh, Donna Grutner, thank you very much, and um, be safe out there, and good luck. Thank y'all so much for uh, allowing us to talk about this important case. Great, thank you. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to another episode of Cop Talk. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Until next time, be safe out there. Thank you.